Welcome to the Lead and Follow podcast. I'm your host, Sharna Fabiano, author of the book, Lead and Follow. And I'm pleased to bring you the latest research, insights, and educational techniques in the emerging field of followership to help you connect and collaborate better with the people around you, whether you're leading or following. Please do leave us a review in your favorite podcast app, and thanks so much for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Kelsey Cotto. Kelsey is a puppeteer and educator based in Los Angeles. He primarily works at Noah's Ark, an ongoing children's exhibition at the Skirball Cultural Center, where he performs and develops programming for young audiences. Additionally, he works with Rogue Artists Ensemble, a Los Angeles theater company that develops original, immersive, multidimensional experiences that celebrate the complexity and diversity of Los Angeles. This year with Rogue, he has been involved with three staged readings of new plays, as well as a 48-hour immersive theater project. He's also an active board member of the Los Angeles Guild of Puppetry. Kelsey, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sharna. Thank you so much for having me today. You know, when we connected earlier this year and you mentioned that you'd, you'd observed the creative relationship between leading and following with puppetry, my ears really perked up and I thought, oh my gosh, we have to talk about this because it's such a, a wonderful example of uh, leading and following. And I know you have a broader theater background, but I'd like to just start off this conversation by asking you how you got interested in puppetry to begin with. It's funny because my broader theater background is sort of how I got into puppetry, how I kind of fell into it. It really feels like a thing that I fell into that I did not intend to um, do to the extent that I do today. But I, I started really my first puppetry experience that was really impactful was at UCLA. It mm-hmm. was, uh, which is where we met. Right. Um, there was, um, there's this beautiful play by Paula Vogel called The Long Christmas Ride Home mm-hmm. that um, it was my senior year. I auditioned for um, one of the, the speaking parts in it. I, I went to school for musical theater. That was mm-hmm. my major at UCLA. And I auditioned for the parts in it that were not puppets, <laughs> that were people. <laughs> and I don't think I was right for any of the parts, uh, but they, I was offered a role as a puppeteer in the production. Mm. And I was reluctant at first to accept. I was like, I don't know if that's really what I want to do. Um, but I ended up doing it. I ended up loving it. I met um, Perry Daniel, who is an instructor at UCLA, um, mm. one of my role models. Uh, she's also on the Los Angeles Guild of Puppetry. And that was my first foray into puppets and it was specifically in that production, uh, Bunraku-inspired puppets. So mm-hmm. three-person collaborative puppets. You know, so many moments in my life I can say the same thing I just fell into. And I, I want to just ask you to talk a little more about the Bunraku puppets for listeners mm-hmm. who might not know how those work. Yeah, Bunraku. Bunraku puppets, they're traditional Japanese puppetry form the puppets that we used were inspired and operated in similar ways, but like a real, if you like go to Japan, you see a real Bunraku show. I have never seen one in person. I've never been to Japan, but I've seen videos of it and it is crazy. It is off the walls, <laughs> beautifully designed puppets. And they're operated traditionally by three people. The person who is 
kind of the head puppeteer Mm -hmm. operates the head of the puppet and the right hand and the sort of second in command operates Mm -hmm. the left arm, the left hand, left arm. And then the third in command who's following the other two does the feet. The feet can look a little bit different. I watched a Boonraku video once where the person who does the feet is just doing some interesting things with their hands to create the illusion of knees in a kimono. There's a lot of different technicalities and riffs on design and operation style within Boonraku. But that's that's mainly what Boonraku is. It's three people bringing one character to life. Beautiful. I can already see how the leading and following might start to play out there between, you know, among those three people. You said that you kind of fell into puppetry and then really loved it. I wonder what it was about that first experience that captivated you so much. It's really freeing. Mm. It's really freeing. And I think about it a lot too, whenever I do work these days that involves puppets, freeing in a way that acting Mm -hmm. (laughs) with words, acting with text, hasn't been lately for me, freeing in that it's inherently very generous. Mm. The goal of it being endowing this other object with a life, with with a gesture, with an energy, it allows me to step outside of myself a little bit and to really just freely express story without thinking about modulating myself or creating some sort of mask myself because the mask already exists and that's the vehicle for the story. It's just fun. (laughs) It's just a blast. Yeah. Beautiful. I think, you know, listeners can probably hear in your voice, you know, the, the joy in it. Right. And the enthusiasm, um, makes me want to go see a puppet show, obviously. So talk to me a little about the puppetry you do now. I, I, I'm making an assumption, but tell me if I'm wrong, that it's not only Bonroku that you do now, you do kind of different kinds of puppetry. So talk to me a little about your more recent experience. Yes. So the puppetry that I typically engage in these days, mm-hmm. you could say is cut from the same cloth mm-hmm. as Bunraku. Okay. It's kinetic puppetry or physical Mm -hmm. puppetry. There's probably better technical words for the kind of puppets that I use. Yeah. I mean, my understanding of puppetry is like my Kermit the Frog hand puppet, you know, from my childhood. That's sort (laughs) of the extent of my experience. Yeah. So the puppets that I work with are either in the context of the Skirball Cultural Center Mm -hmm. uh, at Noah's Ark, which has Mm -hmm. many different beautiful animal puppets that are designed Mm -hmm. by Chris Green, who is a kinetic artist who did a lot of the design for the Noah's Ark exhibit as a whole. Or with Rogue Artists Ensemble, which is just an amazing theater company in Los Angeles that I've had some amazing experiences with that is occupied by brilliant theater practitioners and puppeteers and people who are interested in telling important stories unique stories, impossible stories is, <laughs> is part of their artistic vision. Good. Well, if you're in LA or if you're passing through, we'll put those in the show notes so you can check them out. Let's talk a little about the experience of, of operating a, a, a puppet with more than one person. I can come in my imagination. I'm starting to see it a, kind of like a dance, you know, where you have, you know, the head and one arm and the feet, but tell me a little about your experience of what leadership is like and what followership is like when you're in that 
role or when you're either rehearsing or performing, you know, a puppet with other people? In the experiences that I've had where there is a puppet that requires multiple people, Mm -hmm. there's almost always a director in the room Mm -hmm. who is observing, who is giving direction. So that's one layer Mm -hmm. is there's an observer. Uh, It's also nice to have a mirror, Mm -hmm. but there isn't always a mirror. And then it's agreed at the beginning of the process before picking up the puppet, who will be the head of the puppet, mm-hmm. if the puppet has a head, or who will sort of be the person leading the puppet's movement. Mm-hmm. I think a really good example to talk about that I feel like leading and following is especially um, relevant to is the flamingo, <laughs> the flamingo puppet. <laughs> There's a beautiful, beautiful flamingo puppet. Mm-hmm at Noah's Ark Mm -hmm. that is a two-person puppet and one puppeteer holds the head. Mm -hmm. The head is the sculpted wood flamingo head and then there's a neck which is a whole bunch of spools of thread Mm. uh, linked together by beads. The puppets at Noah's Ark incidentally are made with found objects. Wow, beautiful. Which is interesting. So the the neck is thread, the body is a pink handbag Mm. So the leader holds the head and holds the pink handbag and sets sort of the level of the puppet, the height, mm-hmm. and also leads by extending the head, controlling eye focus, where's the puppet looking, maybe where the direction mm-hmm. that the puppet will be going. And then the second puppeteer operates the feet, mm-hmm. which are fly swatters. <laughs> fly swatters. <laughs> I love <laughs> you imagine this. like... It's awesome. It's so cool. (laughs) Um, Two bamboo sticks with a hinge Mm -hmm. and connected to the bottom stick is a control rod. Mm. And so the leg puppeteer is behind the flamingo and sort of lifts the foot, the feet Mm -hmm. back. Nice. uh, And might uh, help to create a walk Mm. or help to create breath by... Uh, creating a bend in the knees to sort of return to Mm -hmm. the initial question um breath is always the first step Mm. i found with multiple puppet directors that i've worked with the first interesting thing that i feel like grounds the process is checking in with with your partner and figuring out how the puppet breathes Mm before getting into some sort of interesting trick or like a smile or a dance that can also be fun to just sort of dive in and I feel like when you think of puppets when you think of Kermit the Frog you think of like happy like singing or doing something complicated Mm -hmm. right from the get-go but just figuring out how the puppet breathes how to endow I find what you're saying super fascinating about this, starting with the breath, the breath as a foundation, because as I work with teams and organizations, I find just like I did with dance, that there's an order, there's a kind of progression to learning to work together, not just once, but kind of over and over again. And so when groups connect, they do things like ask each other how the weekend was, maybe come together around an agenda. Maybe it's just intentionally coming into 
a, a space, a physical or a virtual space together. But I want to highlight this because when it's missing, things do go wrong. You know, and I imagine you see this with the puppets as well. But if people don't take time to connect in some way, even if it's very brief, the meeting doesn't go as well. We don't really hear each other. And so we don't really collaborate as well together. And so I just wanted to really highlight this because I think there's a cost to not being connected. So I would love to hear more about how you do that with puppetry through the breath. Breath might be even more important from the leading role. Mm. Because one thing that comes naturally from breath with a collaborative puppet Mm -hmm. is the cueing and initiating of movement. Mm. Nice. Yeah, that sounds very leader-like to me. It feels Mm. very comforting to have a a puppeteer who is leading to be giving clear cues with breath. Mm. For example, if I'm in a leading role... I'll breathe loudly uh-huh. or, or breathe deliberately. And that allows me to keep my eyes on the puppet and focus on where the puppet is looking, but still be checking in with my partner to still make sure we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. And if I'm following, I'll be listening for breath and thinking about supporting especially with feet. Mm -hmm. It's just such a wonderful analogy, like just to be offering a strong foundation or a baseline to allow for whoever is leading to, to make decisions or to do something fun or a little wild. Mm -hmm. I find myself gravitating towards doing the feet of this flamingo, for example, Mm -hmm. or if it's a Bunraku puppet, it's doing the feet of this human figure. Because I like to be in a position where I'm creating a foundation for other people to mm. give offers to to do something interesting. I find I find that really fun and I find myself freed by that as well. That specifically uh, freed uh, by puppetry in general but then freed by that specific role. So beautifully said. I just love how you express that Kelsey and I wanted to kind of emphasize it a little bit that, you know, we're still in this transition, I think, culturally, you know, between leader-centric thinking where like the leader is the only important role to know actually good work is partnership and, you know, what you do when you're not the leader is equally important, sometimes even more important. And I think you've just really articulated it beautifully there by embracing the support role, right? And, And feet, you know, are so viscerally a representation of, you know, the foundation, right? You can't go anywhere without moving your legs, right? You can't express anything um, without, you know, that strength underneath you. And I think it's exactly the same in, in, you know, a corporate team, you know, in a, in any sort of group of people or, or, or even if the group is two. And I love that you love to be there, right? Doing that role. I also share that you know, delight when I get to support someone and make it possible for them to, you know, give their idea or take a risk or, you know, express something beautiful. That's so exciting to know that you're part of that, right? And in in some ways making it possible. It is. It's very exciting. And it's, it makes me feel valuable and valued if I can do that well. 
the flamingo example is brilliant. Do you have any other recent examples where you were either in the leader role or in the follower role and that clarity kind of was meaningful to you in a certain way? There's another collaborative puppet at Noah's Ark that is a snow leopard. Mm. It's an absolutely <laughs> gorgeous puppet. It's two puppeteers. They're standing one in front of the other wearing boots, like <laughs> snow leopards, <Nice. laughs> uh, boots. And the puppeteer in the front holds the head, mm-hmm. which is connected to a sort of marionette um, frame. Mm-hmm. And the puppeteer in the back has the tail. Mm. I have less experience with that puppet. That puppet doesn't um, appear all that much mm. in the arc these days because it is so special and so striking. I bet, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of saved for maybe special events mm-hmm. or a, a sort of special occasion. Mm. Audible breathing is really useful with that puppet where checking in with your fellow puppeteer, where exploring slowly mm-hmm. is incredibly useful, not going too fast, allowing for this temporal space mm-hmm. that is conducive to physically listening is incredibly useful, especially with that, with that puppet. <laughs> There's a wire. There's a wire that connects the head and the tail. Mm-hmm. So if you go too fast, there'll be tension. There'll be there, it might be some sort of awkward spine movement that happens mm. or some dissonance that might break the illusion of the puppet a little bit. I really love the image of the wire mm-hmm. physically connecting the two puppeteers because in any team, even if we don't have a physical wire, if one of us moves too fast or moves out of sync, there is tension and we do break the illusion, so to speak. We kind of break the thing we're trying to create together. We miss each other or we, you know, miss the deadline. And especially in a work environment where often speed is like the privileged metric, I think it is really worth emphasizing that we need to pay attention and maintain that connection and and move in sync with our partner and figure out, you know, what is the appropriate speed? Is it slow? Is it a little faster? I'm curious how you think about making those decisions in the partnering of puppetry. Mm. Yeah, that makes me think of honoring the constraint, Mm. honoring the third partner, which is the puppet, Mm -hmm. which is the physical um, embodiment of the partnership. I feel like that's honor is a good word for it. Respecting what that entails, what that allows for. Mm And what it also limits. Yes, really important note, because no matter what we're doing, ultimately, there are a set of constraints that are part of what's bringing us together and also informing the choices that we're making, whether we're in a leadership or in a followership role. So I would love to switch gears a little and talk about your roles as an educator and guide at the Skirball. You happen to work with young visitors, right, children. And I Mm -hmm. wonder about your role as a a guide slash leader, right, when you have following partners that are quite young or how you see your your role as a guide in that environment. One of the offerings that we have for our young visitors Mm -hmm. is gallery happenings. Mm -hmm. 
like bringing a puppet through, having a flamingo interact with a young visitor. And the flamingo is very mischievous. The flamingo <laughs> <laughs> steals people's things. So, so lots of uh, giggle fodder, lots of, lots of delightful uh, interactions uh, while a visitor is visiting the gallery during its hours of operation. But another thing that I do there is I lead school tours. Mm -hmm. So I'll just be me, puppet aside, right. <laughs> just, just Kelsey with a team of educators leading um, a group of maybe 10, 15 mm -hmm. uh, young students who might be there with an after-school group, might be there with a class through the galleries and introducing them to the story format, the storytelling that happens in Noah's Ark, mm. allowing for students to freely explore the gallery, but then maybe gathering everyone around and having a moment of counsel, having a moment of asking a reflection question or leading a physical activity, mm -hmm. like creating the sound of rain with your hands by patting your knees. Or maybe one of the things that I find fun is there's a moment, a transition moment where I might be leading a student group from the storm room mm -hmm. into the ark. I'll say, everyone shake off the rainwater. <laughs> and so, you know, leading that, like leading an imaginative, mm -hmm. physically engaging group activities. That's another part of, of the school tour. It sounds like that role, like if we're going to call the guide a leader, is the kind of leader that's really designing and, and directing for participation, right? So in other words, like there's a lot of ways you can be a leader, a lot of ways you can be a follower, but like you want your followers to be not only engaged, but participating, right? And so that, I imagine that influences how you decide to lead them or talk to them. It is. It's very much geared towards inviting young learners to feel like they are helping to tell the story that they are bringing their own experiences mm -hmm. to the collective experience, uh, to not necessarily be leading a tour by saying, so here's the storm room. This is our lightning. This right. is, these are our storm clouds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> This is our rain. Mm -hmm. If you crank this wheel, then this happens, but saying, but inviting exploration rather mm -hmm. inviting imagination inviting play rather than intensely directing play. Mm -hmm. That's what is hoped to be achieved by the school tours mm -hmm. and also by the exhibit as a whole. I love that you use the word inviting. That's a word I also borrow a lot from partner dance as a, as a leader action, right? That, mm -hmm. and I like it also in place of telling, right? Which, you know, sometimes in some contexts, if you're the leader, you want to tell people things. I get that. But in this in this situation, and I think in a lot of collaborative situations, what we want instead is to invite, you know, either with a question or a proposal or a, hey, let's try this or modeling. So there are a lot of ways to invite. And I think that word is super powerful, right? I think words in general are powerful, but when you put yourself in the mind of, okay, my job here is to invite what am I inviting, first of all? And then how do I invite in a way that's going to be appealing and serve this particular audience or bring joy or whatever it is I want? Uh, I think that just leads to a lot of different kinds of creative options. I absolutely agree. It also, 
allows for no. Mm, I think that that's really powerful too. It's so key. It allows for no. It allows for kids to work on what they want to work on, Mm -hmm. to interact with the exhibit or a part of the exhibit the way that they want to, to have ownership over that, to invite ownership and to not... (laughs) to not force ownership or to not force an experience upon upon someone that that, that you you can invite someone to interact with a certain part of the exhibit mm-hmm. when guests are welcomed into the exhibit during regular hours mm-hmm. one of the things that i find helpful is i say today you might Ooh. help to build the ark you might nice. help the animals on board you might help to tell the story just by being an observer, Mm. by looking at things closely and by pointing things out. You might see a rainbow at the end of the journey or you might climb on something, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Very powerful, again, like just the the phrasing and the perspective of that, right? And I, I just think you cannot emphasize enough this allowing for no. And I love how you even said that there's, there's a moment for everything, right? There's a fire, get out of the room, right? Then you're, you're ordering commands, but, but, you know, in a, in a situation where you want to work together, you want to make something together, whether it's an experience or a, a project or a product, this idea of this might happen, the giving the, the kind of opening up the possibility. And then, you know, then the follower, I mean, I can just sort of put myself in the position there of being your follower on this tour and thinking, oh, that might happen. That means other things might happen too. You know, it just, it starts my own imagination going. And then there's freedom in that and there's choice in that. And I think that's ultimately what we want everyone on a team to be feeling, right? No matter what the team is gathered around. That's beautifully said. I I, I absolutely agree. I love the idea of layering on mm-hmm. um, new possibilities that come from new possibilities that it's that that imagination happens uh, like dominoes <laughs> yes. rather than just thinking right. I'm going to imagine right. today <laughs> it's imagination is not a monolithic thing it's like when you become open to one thing and one possibility that one possibility can lead to a number of other possibilities I can't help but wonder if that mm. resembles how a young person experiences the exhibit that one invitation <laughs> saying, what if this flamingo, this flamingo is flying to mm-hmm. safety. There's a huge storm. And just that little seed uh, allows for a journey that um, you enter another room and, oh, maybe this elephant is is also heading to safety. Or maybe this elephant is afraid. Or how about all these birds, you know, that it can, it can cascade in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I also love about this approach to guiding, leading is that you allow, there's a really wide spectrum of what followership can be. And that's something that interests me, you know, just in this podcast generally and in the in the exploration of followership as a discipline is it's not one thing, right? It's just like leadership isn't one thing. It's contextual and we get to choose every one of us, you know, how we're following and at what level, you know, is right for us to follow. And that that too is an important choice right that that we all make yeah i i love that so much having the choice to to um having the choice to follow in the way that makes sense to you i think is really powerful and i think 
is why spaces like Noah's Ark are important because I do think it's a style of leadership and followership that is different mm -hmm. than what you might think of with a classroom. It's not a classroom. It's, it's, it's a play space. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a space of learning though, you know, learning how to mm -hmm. honor other people's experiences and to see what comes from that openness with the Noah's Ark story that is being told at the Skirball, one of the themes is, is working together is building community, is taking the story about a storm and an ark and a rainbow at the end of the journey and digging into it and looking at it from a framework of these animals are working together to uh, survive hardship or to, mm. to build community, to to help each other. And what does that look like? It's a pretty important question right now, I think, actually. You know, maybe it's always an important question. You know, what is it like to choose to work together to overcome hardship? Like, what does that look like? And I think a kind of openness to how we lead and follow each other has got to be important there, right? It can't be just one fixed definition. This is what it looks like, you know, there's got to be some freedom there because hardship isn't intrinsically a kind of uh, constantly changing scenario mm -hmm. that we need to react to. I think so. I think so. So Kelsey, uh, I have loved learning from you about your experience with puppetry and, and with the, the children at the Skirball. I wonder if anything else is kind of bubbling up to your mind right now. Anything you want to leave listeners with any insights you've had about leading and following um, that are kind of standing out to you right now? Many things are bubbling up. <laughs> it's been such a blast to talk about this thing that I'm still very much a beginner at. Going back to the flamingo. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to the flamingo. If you're doing the head and the body of the flamingo, there are still moments where it's, it's useful to let to check in with the feet and maybe the feet are leading in some interesting way. Maybe that strict dynamic of you are the head and that means you are leading isn't the only way to go about it. Sometimes when I do the feet, I might mm -hmm. do something a little fun. <laughs> I might, <laughs> I might, um, sometimes I as a feet will maybe make the decision to gently, slowly go up into flamingo, flamingo stance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the partners that I really like to work with on the flamingo will sense that and honor that and maybe raise the head and assume mm -hmm. a flamingo standing on one leg position. So right. um, that's bubbling up that, that the dynamic is complicated. Mm -hmm. And even though in puppetry, there might be a set idea about you do the head and the right arm, mm -hmm. that means you're leading. I'm wondering today if, is that always useful? Mm -hmm. Maybe not. Or maybe so, or maybe it's, it's just that, that leadership dynamic is complicated. I think it's for sure complicated. Yeah. And I think we can go with a both and there. Yes. And right in the, from the world of theatrical improvisation that, uh, yes, yeah, structure is useful, right? And most groups need some sort of structure where we know, okay, this person's mostly the leader, this person's doing X, Y, Z. Um, and at the same time, 
right? We can all uh, perform these these behaviors, right? These skills, leading and following. And so in moments, right, the more connected we are, the more fluid we can be, mm. right, to respond to one another. So for, for me, it's definitely a both and. And like, I want a world in which, you know, we can benefit from structure, which, you know, helps us be efficient in many ways, and also the flexibility, right, which allows us to embrace innovation and surprise and things we couldn't have predicted, mm. like the flamingo <laughs> uh, standing on one leg suddenly, right? And how delightful that would be. Yeah. So tell us uh, what's coming up at the Scribble or with Rogue uh, in the coming, um, you know, months for for locals and for those passing through. Mm. So with Rogue Artists Ensemble, mm-hmm. they are planning a lot of projects this year and next year. Um, next mm-hmm. year, they're doing a full-fledged production um, that I was lucky enough to be a part of some workshops um, surrounding. It's called Schlitzy, Alive and Inside. <laughs> The Decaying Sideshow, it's about Schlitzy, who is a sideshow performer, a very famous, Fabulous. often misunderstood. Um, and that's premiering next year. It's, it was written by Eric Fagundes, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's going to be a beautiful production. Um, so look out for that. Check out Rogue Artist Ensemble's website. This is one of them, with just a beautiful collection of quilts. And the other one is Together for Good, Karen Tab, and the Quilting Corner. Or you can go and you can make your Fun. own quilt square that that becomes part of a community quilt. And I totally want to make my own quilt square. It's I me too. <laughs> I, I haven't yet. I I think there was an opportunity for me to have done it already, but I missed it. But I want to when mm-hmm. when it when it launches. Yeah. And the third one is using the whole campus as its space. It's called uh, Wayfinding. It's mm-hmm. this is the last venue for its nationwide tour. It's by artist Chloe Bass, and it's many beautiful uh, signs that have questions on them Mm. or uh, little seeds of thought uh, sprinkled around campus. So it's also an exciting way to, if you've never visited the Skirball, to explore the campus. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, We'll put all those in the show notes. Please check in there. And thank you once again, Kelsey, for a wonderful conversation. Very inspiring. And I look forward to seeing your work in the coming months and years. Thank you so much for having me again, Sharna. What what a blast. What an honor. (laughs) Uh, Truly. Thank you. You have been listening to the Lead and Follow podcast. Special thanks to Glover Gill for composing our music. And thank you to all of our subscribers. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show with a paid subscription. And if your team or organization is interested in followership training, please reach out anytime. I'd love to help.